So the question then, first question, I think if I can summarize uh, it right, is can Satan put thoughts in your mind that contribute or even be a, a big factor, if not a cause, in depression? In other words, what role does the fact that we have a very real spiritual enemy play in depression? And first of all, I'm thankful for the question as it is something I maybe didn't address clearly, if at all, in the course. And it's, it's easy to neglect something when you're making new material, so I'm thankful for that. And then I thought, well, why didn't I really address this idea? Why, why wasn't it at the forefront of my mind? I mean, isn't it obvious? Well, then I look back through my resources that I've looked at Christian resources on depression and mental health, and I found that none of them really address the issue. Um, even Martin Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual Depression only deals with the issue directly in the odd paragraph here or there. And, and you would think that it would be an entire chapter in his book. Now, he did have a few sermons on spiritual warfare and spiritual spiritual. Uh, depression online, which you can find, but it's, it's not apparent in his book on spiritual depression. So I thought, then, why might this be, then, if it seems to be missing in maybe a lot of um, the literature I've read? Well, I would submit that for many, of these, for many of these writers, they assume that we have an adversary that we all have to deal with as Christians. And even if we are not diagnosed with a mental illness, we all deal with Satan and his influences and his minions. It is a common experience, and many Christians deal with it as a factor in their regular Christian life, but they're not undone by it, like someone who would be undone by a deep and long depression. And when David Murray has a title, um, Christians Get Depressed Too, the assumption is that even healthy Christians get depressed. So remember, we are dealing with things beyond common experience. But nevertheless, it's an important um, question to ask. What role does Satan play in... Um, Depression, possibly. And so how do we make sense of Satan and his relation to depression? Well, there's a few things. Number one, we need to realize that we are all in a spiritual battle. And one of the reasons we have many down and dour and defeated Christians is because they don't realize we are actually in a battle. They think that when they become a Christian, everything will be good and happy and joyful, but they don't have the idea that this Christian life is a fight that we are all in. And yet there are many that do realize this and who do have a strong faith and are praying and fighting but still get depressed. 
So this is one of those areas that we need to take stock of in assessing our overall, overall spiritual health, and it is certainly maybe a factor, but it can't be the answer, and certainly not the answer for everybody. But it is still, nevertheless, something we need to realize. We also need to realize that while we are in a battle with Satan and his minions, it is not the battle that is characterized by many charismatic churches. Satan is not on par with Jesus or God locked in a battle where we don't really know who will win, but we hope God does. This is a worldly view of sin and evil and the stuff of fantasy. In reality, Satan is no match for God. Satan was cast out of heaven and through Christ's death has been bound even on earth. The demons who encountered Christ cowered in fear just by his mere presence. Satan is an influence only as he is permitted by God to be an influence. He is a dog on a leash. It's another thing we need to realize that he's not on par with God. It's not that we're crossing our fingers and hoping God wins, but he has been defeated. That's why Christ came and his work on the cross did that work. But then number three, can Satan influence our thoughts? Can he put thoughts in our mind? And John Piper wrote something helpful here, I think. He's, John Piper, in a, in a transcript of, a, of an interview, said, does Satan actually put thoughts in our mind? Well, here's John 13, 2. During supper, that is, during the Last Supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. The thought, the intention, the desire was there in Judas. Satan, John says, put it there. All Satan had to do was intensify and direct Judas' own, Judas own sinfulness. And that is true with us as well. There's no clear, fine line, writes John Piper, there's no clear, fine line between the thoughts that Satan puts in us and the thoughts that we come up with. Or the desires that Satan puts in us and the desires that we come up with. We don't know exactly how. It's these how questions that baffle us, isn't it, he writes. We don't know exactly how Satan interacts with our own sinful nature to do his ugly work. But I think it's fair to say that our own sinfulness is like an invitation, like a welcome mat, and an open door to Satan. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 26 to 27, when, he, when Paul writes, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So anger that is hung on to then creates an opportunity for Satan. So yes, Satan can influence the desires and the thoughts of a person. 
Number four, it's important to realize that Satan can be resisted. Ephesians 6, 11 and 13, if I put those two together, says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You can stand. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So you can resist Satan. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What does James say? He will flee from you. He will not be ripped away from you. No, Satan goes of his own accord. He's anxious to get away. He flees from you. Satan is a coward in the face of a healthy, spirit-imbued Christian who fights his lies with truth and who is pursuing God. He doesn't have to be convinced to leave when you are a strong, healthy Christian and you're resisting him. He flees from you, we're told. So those are four things to keep in mind. And then the question is, how then do we make sense of depression given the fact that we have an enemy who would seek to destroy our faith and make us weak, influential, uh, uninfluential Christians. And it's important, I have argued, for the depressed Christian to first take stock of his spiritual health and spiritual walk. This needs to be targeted as a base for all other work that needs to be done in dealing with depression and mental health. However, with those who are depressed, other factors will undoubtedly need to be addressed at the same time as it takes time to develop that spiritual health. So if you have a Christian who's depressed and they're fairly weak in their faith, perhaps new, they, they don't really have that idea of fighting and, and resisting Satan. You, that needs to be developed as a basis then for everything else and all the other work that they do. But it takes time to develop that, doesn't it? We don't, we're not just, we don't just grow like that. The Lord takes his time as he sees fit. So while that is being worked on, then you would work on the other parts of depression that you can work on. The way, we defight, the way we fight our depressive thoughts, actually, is the same way that we fight Satan. Our offensive weapon in spiritual warfare is the Word of God or the truth. In cognitive therapy, we are trained to assess the warped truthfulness of the thoughts that we think and counteract them with true statements that are based on evidence. That's cognitive therapy. You see, the depressed person will skew or twist all that is true and good. And in the twisting and skewing, what is true becomes a lie. While the Christian has the added benefit 
that the unbeliever doesn't have of applying the truth of the word of God to those lies. So when we are telling ourselves lies, when we're thinking lies, we counteract that with the truth that we know in the word of God. But that's the same thing we do when we hear Satan's lies. It's the same thing Christ did when he was tempted in the wilderness. So in submitting to God, even when he feels distant, and applying what we know to be true to the lies we're telling ourselves, in applying truth over feeling, we are employing strategies that address the origins of depressive thoughts, whether from Satan or from other factors. You don't have to know whether a thought is from Satan or not. In fact, you probably can't even distinguish that, as John Piper has said. The fight for the depressed Christian is the fight for faith and hope and light. As John Piper has said, Satan doesn't bypass our sinful brokenness, but likely interacts with it to do his ugly work. So all this to say that we need to be aware, as all Christians should, that we are in a spiritual battle. But that you can be a persevering, fighting Christian who is still depressed. And the fight is the same. It's the same fight for the Christian. As we have argued in this course, mental health is a multi-factor, often multi-cause illness. So yes, we do need to be aware of Satan. We do need to be aware that he attacks um, his God's people, especially God's people, especially God's people. But he can be resisted. He will flee if you're resisting Satan, we're told. But what we're talking about when we talk about depression then is not the normal course of things for the Christian. They're not the normal course because everybody will be listening to lies, Satan will attack, you'll resist, he'll flee, and you move on. Um, and, and be attacked for however long that God permits, because remember, Satan is on God's leash. But what about the depressed Christian who then, yes, they have that same dynamic as a Christian, but it goes beyond what is normal for the Christian, and other things come into play. So is it important to recognize we have an enemy? Yes, it is for every Christian, and we need to fight. Can it be something that um, stirs up more depressive thoughts? Yes. Is your depression a direct attack from Satan? From what I've read in many different um, Christians, thoughts on it, perhaps, and maybe in exceptional cases, 
with God's allowance. But when you are a Christian who is still fighting and, pre- and pressing on and, and recognize that there is a battle, Satan's affecting and then fleeing means that it doesn't have to be necessarily for, even for many, that long, drawn-out, protracted depression that we're talking about. So anyway, that is a bit of a perspective on Satan and demons and spiritual warfare as it relates to depression. And there is probably a whole lot that I have left unsaid, but that will give you stuff to at least start thinking about. Another question was, have you ever read Psalm 77 as a cure for depression? This was a remark from John MacArthur's commentary that that Psalm 77 can be read as a cure for depression. Would you agree? And can you elaborate? Well, I want to say this out of, very carefully, out of great respect and appreciation for John MacArthur. In fact, it was many of his messages that opened up my eyes to the fact that I was a starving Christian. And there was more to preaching than good storytelling. I think John MacArthur's view of depression to put it in a statement, is overly simplistic and lacks understanding. So there's my view. Let me explain. Having listened to clips and interviews of John MacArthur on depression, and I've listened to, especially in this last week, gone back and listened to things, um, many clips, for him it appears that depression or anxiety is a spiritual issue and one of a lack of faith or trust in the promises of God. He has said on a clip that I listened to, all depression is a result of unmet expectations, so keep your expectations low and you won't get depressed. That was his words uh, verbatim. John MacArthur has had his views informed by people, he says, in his church and others who he notes experience a lifting of depression when they come to Christ. And then makes the conclusion that all Christians shouldn't have experienced depression if you're a healthy, trusting Christian. But you would expect people who come to Christ to have depression lifted, wouldn't you? In the, at least initially. I wonder long-term what might happen with some of these people. that we know for many people coming to Christ, there's this immediate joy and, and, and excitement. And, but then if you've been a Christian long enough, <laughs> it, it tends to fade and you get into the grind of being a dutiful um, Christian, maybe. My experience with John MacArthur is that he can come across as a black and white thinker very often and a preacher when it comes to complicated issues. 
He creates a sharp divide between any kind of psychological or medical helps and um, spiritual helps. Everything is spiritual. Depression and anxiety can always, there's that black and white thinking, be cured with the application of truth and biblical truth. And when he talks about anxiety, for example, he seems to um, fail to appreciate that mental illness is going beyond what is normal, beyond the normal sin of worry and disappointment or self-pity or whatever. And he will cite Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Christ's exhortation not to be anxious because all your needs are met by God as addressing every kind of anxiety there is. And indeed it does, and, and it does. However, what about depression that goes beyond normal sadness? What about anxiety that goes beyond what is rational or normal worry? What about those illnesses that go beyond what is normal and seem to have that life of their own? Okay. Where the Christian counseling movement has moved from the position of J. Adams, that all is, all is spiritual, to a more balanced approach on mental health. John MacArthur seems to imply, in what I've heard, that the adopting of a more balanced approach is the encroachment of the world and worldly counsel in the church. When he has been asked on an interview I heard about commenting about depressed Christians, his first words were, well, we know the answer. That's what he said, well, we know the answer. Then he went on to say that all depression is a result of unmet expectations. So needless to say, and if you've been here listening to my course, I don't turn to John MacArthur for advice on depression because I, I just don't, I, I don't agree with his take on it. But I say that with all respect because I think he's a great preacher. He says many really good things. I don't agree with him on everything. And that would be one area where I would say that I think it's more complicated than, um, than I think that I've heard him present it. But what about Psalm 77 then? What about that psalm? Well, it is a great psalm that highlights combating perceptions, feelings, and experience with truth. It says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And the answer rhetorically is no. No, he hasn't. So the psalmist in his turmoil is reminding himself that no, God hasn't done all these things. And then he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So Psalm 77 is a helpful model for the depressed Christian. However, Christians who do this and 
try to think these ways may really struggle with depression. And as I have said in the course, I, I just I would caution someone who says, this is a cure. Um, here it is, here's the cure. Because in my mind, in my arguments, depression is a lot more complicated than, than that. And it's not the same for everyone. That's what we have to recognize. It's not the same for everyone. So you might say, well, this cured this person. Well, there will be a whole raft of other people for whom that's not the cause or the case. So I think we have to be careful. Now, the last thing wasn't so much a question as a comment that was made. Again, another sort of um, missing part in, in in my course, but I think you'll see why I probably missed this. There is something to recognize as a cause alongside of postpartum depression, a uniquely female issue, which is why I probably missed it. Depression has been tied in a number of people to menstruation. Go figure. That's why I missed it. I didn't know, but I was informed. For many, the onset or pre-onset of their monthly cycle will trigger depression. It's a regular and predictable thing. And then when that time passes, the depression passes until the next onset. Many doctors, in treating this, apparently will prescribe antidepressants as a treatment. It very clearly is a very heavy biological in nature depression, isn't it? But there are females who don't want to be on antidepressants when this comes and goes, though it is regular it is, and, and is not pervasive. So the question that was asked of me then, given this, so how does a person then deal with the guilt, with the sin that is stirred up and all that goes with depression in these cases if they choose not to go on antidepressants? Well, first, I want to say that if you are on antidepressants as a treatment for this, that's great. You should not feel any less of a Christian or any less spiritual. It's a valid thing. After all, assuming it can last for two weeks or so, and then you have a bit of a window before the next one, that's not much time in between. It's pretty much a a regular, constant thing. So antidepressants might really work. A biological um, treatment for a really clearly biological struggle. For others, knowing that it comes and goes is a blessing because you can prepare for it, though, right? You can anticipate the onset and make sure that you are busier during those times, that you have a plan to keep going, a plan for support, a plan to increase your exercise level. But knowing it will pass is hopeful, though the regularity of it is a form of suffering. Here it is a good thing to develop a healthy Christian perspective on suffering. 
which I talked about last week. And you keep working on developing all the healthy thought patterns and physical helps, such as exercise, that you know are the basis for good mental health, which we should all be working on, even proactively, as ways to mitigate even the severity of those times. As far as the sin that is stirred up and the guilt that maybe I could deal with the depression through antidepressants, but I'm not, so I'm inviting extra sin into my life when I could be dealing with it, I would say this. Christ's atonement on the cross for your sin is comprehensive and infinitely deep. Just like you do at any other time, you bring your sin to the cross and you repent. Your depression isn't an excuse. You still sin. It just makes it harder. But you bring it to the cross and you repent, knowing that you're forgiven. You know that Christ is aware of your circumstances, and you know that for whatever reason, he has allowed this to be something that you have to deal with. He'll never say, he'll never say to any of you, oh, that's more sin than I expected. Never. So you deal with menstrual depression like you deal with any other depression, knowing that it doesn't make you any less a child of God or rob you of any of his favor, would be my response to that question. Pretty much it. I do have a little bit of time left if, there, if I missed a question or if you thought of something, if you have a, maybe a live fire question. Yep. Yeah. How do we reconcile biological and physical factors that, that influence a person's behavior, mentality? And remember I said, it's like my, my dad's struggling with Alzheimer's. It, it has affected who he is. He's not the same person. Um, what about those physical factors Let's, say, let's even say Tourette's, where then you have this compulsion, as, as some of them do, to just swear and foul mouth, and it's, it's just coming out of them. Well, we are broken people. We live in a fallen world that is no surprise to God. We are all hurting and broken in some way. Things don't work like they should. God is sovereign over everything, every biological change, every molecule. He is sovereign and, and um, determines how that all works. And 
And so I think, again, uh, realizing that, that these things will affect you, at some point, I think, you still choose to do those things. Okay, you still choose to do those things. But I, I think it's the same thing with um, some of the physical things I've talked about here. You, you bring it to the Lord. It doesn't make you less of a person. You're still culpable for your sin. Just like we are still um, culpable for our sin, even though we live in a fallen world, and like, you know, um, we're, we're still culpable. Uh, even though God shapes and, and determines desires and draws us to himself, at some point we still have volition. We choose him. We don't, so, so he works with that. So I think when it comes to biological factors and, and who the person is and, and sin, I think it's a, an affecting factor for sure, but I think the person is still culpable. But there's a lot of understanding for the same, at the same time. So if their personality changes and they become some really sort of horrible person, you've got a lot more compassion and understanding maybe for that than someone who is, that's they're who they are. And, and there's no other reason other than they're just letting their sin run rampant. The, the approach to, to helping them would be different, maybe. With a lot, and, and maybe with, a, with the person who lets their sin run rampant, you're, you're going to be in their face and, and saying things need to change right now. With the person who is affected by biological factors, you will weep with them and, 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 and recognize the brokenness and, and help them turn to God and carry on, I guess. So yeah, biological factors don't rob us of responsibility, is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Or, or the enemies mm-hmm. lies, but also with, with cognitive therapy where people speak truth to themselves and mm-hmm. fight against the falsehoods that they believe in mental ill health. Mm-hmm. Where's like is, is the, the mental illness then I, I get what you're saying. So, uh, uh, so with cognitive therapy, you know, we fight, and, and whether you're a Christian or not, you're trained to fight um, untruth with truth. Uh, Christians fight the lies of Satan with truth. Where does that line of just sinful unbelief fall in then to, into illness and, and responsibility and all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. 
let me, let me step back and just really um, try to link again what I said with cognitive therapy in a secular sort of idea and the, and the Christian about the mechanisms being the same. I'm not assuming that a person who is just employing regular cognitive therapy and those principles is, affecting a, is fighting a good Christian fight because that is purely secular. It is the idea of, of um, looking at something in light of evidence and saying that is not a true statement. So people don't like me, let's say. And then the person who's not a Christian would say, um, well, I have this friend who's standing by me. I have this person who is taking me for coffee. It's not true that no one likes me. I have this evidence uh, against it. And then you start to, to talk to yourself differently. Let's take that same statement, no one likes me, and look at it from a Christian perspective using these same principles. And p perhaps that, that Satan's telling you, no one likes you, you're no good. You've lost your favor with people and God. Well, you would then apply truth that the non-believer, the unbeliever, doesn't have. So you would say, not only do I know that I have friends and that they have people, you would add this extra layer of God has promised never to forsake or leave me. It doesn't matter if the world forsakes me, I have no one, but if I have God on my side, I've got everything. So there's this extra layer then of challenging false thoughts that the unbeliever doesn't have. So uh, I think that when I say it's the same mechanism, the mechanism of challenging um, false thoughts is, is um, the same. Now, why are those thoughts from yourself or from Satan? It's hard to tell. And, I don't, and again, I would argue, I don't know that that's important. You still fight it with truth, Christian truth. You still resist the devil. You say, it could be Satan, so I'm going to resist. I'm going to resist myself and Satan because myself is going to bring me down and send me to hell if it's, you know, in my own flesh. Right? You're still resisting. You're still fighting. Now, where does... Um, sinful responsibility and, and unbelief come in? And where does that line? I've been trying to argue in this course that there really is no line. Even if you're depressed, you are fighting unbelief and sinful unbelief, but you've got factors that are stirring that up, it's still, it's still part of, of um, the sin that you're, you're committing. Um, you, 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 no one is, is making you think these things, although it's harder, it's harder because you've got these factors, you've got brain chemistry, you've got a whole bunch of other things. Are you still responsible for sin? Yes, I think you are. But there's a lot more compassion than if I got to know someone and I realized there's really no other reason other than their spiritual life is in shatters and they are walking in pure unbelief. 
right? You, you recognize the other factors that contribute to sin and, de- and the depression. And it's different than if I, if I worked with someone who their life is great, um, they've had, they've, you know, checked things out medically, um, but I know that they are engaged in sin, in not walking with God, not following the disciplines. I would say, you know what, this is probably coming out of a, a, a rotten Christian heart. Let's start there. And then if that, when that's getting going, let's look at other things that see what happens with the depression. So in terms of a line, you're not going to find a line. Um, it's, that's why I've, I've been arguing that in dealing with depression, you need to deal with it in a comprehensive, holistic kind of way. You deal with the sin and repentance. You deal with um, your Christian walk and your, and your Christian life at the same time that you deal with your lifestyle. You deal with all of these things. Because to try to figure it out ex- definitively what's going on, it's, con- too, it's often too complicated. It's not that clear. But you don't have to have it figured out um, if you're pursuing all of those areas in terms of being healthy in all of those areas. You know what I'm saying? So I, when I'm talking with someone who is depressed, I'm not, unless it's very obvious that their Christian life is in shambles, um, or maybe the think they're saved, they're not saved, then I'm not so um, much looking at trying to define how much responsibility they have. That's not helpful. Not helpful in dealing with a depressed person. They know they're responsible. They know they're committing sin. It doesn't have to be pointed out all, all the time. What's helpful is helping them know that they can repent, that God is forgiving, and that there's things to pursue in terms of a healthy life, is what I would probably answer. It's hard being on the spot and trying to think things without having time to prepare with a cup of coffee and a computer, but that would be the best I can do with that. Yeah? Good. So what is the interplay between the, uh, my subjective experiences of God and the promises of God, which I know to be true? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'll try to answer that in, in, a, couple of que- in a couple of minutes. Um, so the person who is depressed, their subjective experience of God... Is, in, is often in the tank. And, and so, but you still know what God is promising what, and, 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 and it to be true. I, I think it's different for different people. I think that for some people, doing that work and focusing on those things can be quite a lift. 
Uh, in my experience with me, I don't know that I experience the emotional lift and my subjective experience changes so much because of focusing on those thoughts and those promises, but, those th but focusing on those promises and what God has promised and who he is objectively is the thing that keeps me going, objectively. Even though I'm waiting for it to hit my heart, right? So it, it's the thing maybe that keeps me from throwing in the towel and saying I'm done. Because what I don't feel subjectively, I know objectively. Um, and then, uh, so for some people it might affect their, their subjective experience. It doesn't for everybody, but it is still hope. It's still that hope in the darkness. The darkness is, is still there, but, but I'm reminded of hope objectively because that's what our hope is. Our hope is not subjective. So it is still a help, though it may not be that subjective emotional help that I'm looking for. Anyway, we do need to wrap up. I hope that helps, but again, hard being on the spot. Woof, you guys are tough. <laughs> All right, let's pray and then we'll carry on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the um, chance to look at so many of uh, these complicated things in mental health and, and the Christian and, and faith. And we know that you're sovereign over it all. We know, Lord, that all of our sin, whether it's committed outside of depression or from depression or from really hard to avoid factors that are almost compulsions. We know it is all forgiven, that it is no surprise to you. It doesn't affect who we are or our standing. And Lord, may it not affect our standing with other Christians in a judgmental or harsh kind of way, but let us be moved to compassion even as we all limp toward heaven. We pray this in your name. Amen. Next week is a Q&A with the, all the elders, and then that would be the last Sunday school.